0: Now, I'm sure none of you here, because you know, we always talk about other people when we come here, right? I'm sure maybe you know other people who's, who are very familiar with these words, you know. Um, Lord, if you just get me out of this, this one time, I promise you I will fill in the blank, right? Go to church more. I'll give an offering. I'll pray some. I'll, I'll do something, right? Just, Lord, help me right now. I know, but right now, help me out. Familiar? I know. Familiar? <laughs> <laughs> okay, maybe some of us. Um. And what happens is, for a lot of people, um, God becomes sort of the Get out of jail free card. Right. Thanks, God. Needed that one. I appreciate it. Now, if you you listen to Patty, as she read through her psalm, you know, maybe it's kind of reading into it too much. But you heard the writer say something that I'm going to go give uh, what I said I was going to do when I was in time of trouble. Right. I made a vow to God when I was in trouble. God help me, please. And now I'm going to go do it. Now, that's that's, uh, helpful because a lot of times we make these vows and we sort of kind of, oh, God, come on, you're not going to hold me to that, right? I mean, right? But God becomes this get-out-of-jail-free card. What I also want you to realize, though, read through, for example, more of the Psalms, and you understand that this idea that God really is good, That God can do. God will do. God does. This idea that God is so powerful is very apparent since the very beginning. That in fact, you know what? If you can go out and find a better get out of jail free card, let me know. Because as a matter of fact, God can do very well. Mm? God can deliver. God can rescue God can bring us out. God can make all these things new. And if you can find something better than God, let us know. But in the meantime, God's pretty good at being God. Y'all with me? The trouble we recognize, though, is that when God is only the get-out-of-jail-free card, that's when we get in that slippery slope. When we make these commitments, maybe we're in trouble, that Maybe in our mind at that moment we feel like we will carry on, but really it's just to get us out of a moment. We realize that those are the times when it's not real helpful. God has always done, and I believe God will continue to do. But God is, I think, so much more than just the get-out-of-jail-free card. And let me show you why I think that in part. Think about the Apostle Paul. And here he is in this great city, a city that is the center of so much of of culture. And he's waiting for some of his colleagues to join him. So in the meantime, he's by himself. And as he's going about this town, and it's not in what we read. You've got to go back a few verses. But he's, he's going through this town, and he's very disturbed because everywhere he looks are these idols maybe statues or, you know, probably statues, but these idols that represent all these other gods. And these idols, people worship them in a way. They bring worship to them. They probably bring uh, incense and offerings and all these kinds of things. And this is just bothering Paul so much because he knows something different, right? And, you know, when we study that, this, I guess the house is divided, of whether Paul is being very sincere or whether Paul is sort of, you know, taking a jab at them when he says something like, oh, I realize how very religious you all are, right? You even had an altar to an unknown God, Paul says. You are religious in every way. Is he being, is he being sort of sarcastic with them? Maybe. Miss Ann? I don't know if y'all know, Miss Ann and Paul don't really get along all the time. So her, her opinion may or may not be kind of skewed. Maybe he's being sarcastic, though. Or maybe, probably. (laughs) Or maybe he recognizes something in himself or in all of humanity that wants to find God. Maybe they just haven't found God. Maybe they're sort of just covering their bases, right? Something else has got to be out there, and to that unknown God, here it is. I don't know. You can make up your mind. We know Anne already has. But the rest of us... (laughs) can make up our mind of what we think Paul is doing there. But what I want us to realize is that as Paul is going through this city, these are all different gods, right? There's a God for this and a God for that and a God for this. There's a God to make sure the rain comes as it needs to. There's a God for the harvest so that we can have our crops. There's a God of life. There's a God of this. There's a God for every area of our life, right? That makes sense? And Paul, pretty much what he says is that the God he knows is the creator of all life. That there's no need for this God and that God and this one and this one and her and him. That those, those are all things that we've fashioned in our own mind, but the God that he knows has created all of heaven and all of earth and controls all of these things in some way. That is the response that Paul has to these idols that he sees. Now, as we think about these idols, I think sometimes a tendency in my experience hearing people, they think, man, I'm so glad we're past that. We don't build idols anymore. Man, that is so ancient and old. Oh, my goodness. Why, how could they ever even do something like that? So silly, those folk way back when. But then we realize, well, maybe we don't build statues, right? But we put up big signs that say things like Wall Street. And, you know, everything that's good about life comes from Wall Street. And if I'm going to make it in life, I've got to make it on Wall Street. And everything that Wall Street can give is life-giving, and I've got to get it. Even churches sort of do something like this. Maybe they get their big buildings. And I'm not saying anything in big buildings and stuff. But and then they put their big signs. They put their name on it, right? They say, look at my church. <laughs> my church. The pastor puts her his name real big. My church. <laughs> oh, your church. Yeah, you cute little. Bless your heart. But look at my church. <laughs> but we don't build idols. We don't build statues. Just churches. Oh, oh, what about this one? And I not realize some of you are just gonna hate me and that's okay. What about the God of coffee? Bacon, bacon, we'll <laughs> Let me say what I'm gonna say first and then See it's called the coffee sermon, just so you remember it. Um, but it's funny. You've seen that McDonald's commercial. There's a guy who wakes up and he's, you know, his roommate can't talk to him and the guy in the elevator can't talk to him and the guy on the street can't talk to him. Not even the lady at the counter, she can't talk to him until he gets his first cup of coffee. And then all of a sudden, sunshine, right? You ever hear people say that? Oh, man, I'm nothing without my first four cups of coffee in the morning. Let's get this straight. You say you believe that God created the heavens and the earth and everything in it, you even believe some of the stuff about parting seas and waters and coming down and as a human person dying, coming. you believe all that, but somehow you can't find it in your mind to believe. You think that the power of God cannot work into your life. The power of God's spirit cannot raise you up out of bed until you had coffee. We don't build altars. Now, here's the deal. Please drink your coffee, and I'm going to eat my chocolate, okay? Thank you. We even have coffee. Amen, sister. We have coffee in the back. Go and have it to your heart's delight. The point is this. Maybe we need to think a little bit more about what we say and what we do and the way we think about things. And that sometimes the things we say and the things we do The way we think about things keep us from experiencing God. That these things get in the way of God really being God in our lives. As far as all these people in Athens were concerned, all these gods helped them out. Why else would they have a God of the harvest? Because they believed that that God would do something. Just like we believe coffee will do something. But these things get in the way of us really experiencing God. And I'm not talking about coffee anymore. See, we don't have statues in our life, but we have other things, don't we? Sometimes people put a whole lot more trust in their 401K than they do in God. Sometimes we put a whole lot more trust in our relationships with other people than we do in our relationship with God. Sometimes we value ourselves a little more if we have a car that's got a little oval on it with an L in the middle. Now, we don't build statues anymore, do we? Sometimes we think the only way I can be of any worth to anything is if I can make it in the world, if I got this kind of success or not. But we don't build statues anymore, do we? We all have these things that we have in our life that are real needs that we have. Security. Comfort. Food. People. That's right. You can. Right. And, and, And God sort of becomes a secondary thing, right? And we let that person, that thing take the place of God. And friends, that is what an idol is. So Paul tells them what you 're trying to find and that 's unknown to you, let me tell you what it is. it 's the God I know. It 's the God that I know that provides everything, that has created everything, and everything that you need, i 'm paraphrasing, of course, but that everything you need, God provides. Now you think about that. What is it that you need right now from God? What is it in your heart that is taking you away from God that you have tried to replace God with for something else? Hear me tell you that God can have that place, that place that God is supposed to have. Now, How does this happen? I think it sort of begins with us answering that question. But Paul goes on to say a few other things, and one of the things that's very important that he says is that God has now, God lived with us when we were ignorant to things, right? But there has come a time when God says, God commands that we are to repent. Now, that's a heavy word for some of us. That means a lot of things to a lot of different people, but in its very simple sense, the word repent simply means to turn around. We've talked about that before, right? That if you're going one way, and if you decide it's time to repent, what you are saying is it is time to turn around. And maybe we've had things in our life that we've tried to take God's place with, but if we hear God calling out to us, and if we repent, what we are saying is, no, I'm going a different way. Friends, that is what God is calling us to do. And Paul says, God makes us very simple. God moved in the world so that we uh, could perhaps search for God, and grope for God, and find Him. That word "grope" means some things, right? Today, but in the sense that Paul is talking about, he's talking about searching for, to, to to touch after, and to feel and to experience that God moved in the history of the world so that people could grope and search and look for God, though God has never been hard to find. God is here. God is everywhere. And we just have to look. We have created, in our own ways, idols. We don't build the statues anymore. But we do have our idols, friends. Let's, let's be real together, please. And what we realize is that these idols can often do more harm than good, take us further and further away from God, make us feel like we have everything we need. They, they can do more harm than good. These idols, they can leave us needing more, and we continue to search, to search, to search, not, not realizing that all we're doing is filling it with nothing. That hole in our lives, we're filling it with nothing until we fill it with God. You might say in a very superficial kind of way that these idols can put us in jail and that maybe we need God to be our get-out-of-jail-free card. Well, friends, let me tell you, God can. God will. But God is so much more. God is the giver of life. And God gives us that life. In Jesus' name.